0: not willing to risk the unusual you have to settle for the ordinary hello and welcome to season two episode seven of our podcast series the podcast that inspires and educates through the sharing of real life experiences i am sheila your host and with me today is guest wendy baker joining in remotely wendy is a successful british designer she was a design director for wallace shop an international expert on interior design and founder of shoestring books she has published several best-selling titles and her books are used for teaching in colleges and universities in both UK and the US. She opened her first shop, Harriet, decades ago in London and her second one on Bond Street where she designed clothes for many celebrities. She also had concessions in major departmental shops such as Harrods, Sachs, Neiman Marcus, just to mention a few. Wendy will be sharing with us today her experience parting with the Queen's sister, Princess Margaret, Dancing with the Beatles, amongst others. This episode promises to be very inspiring. Hello, Stay Wendy, you. and welcome to Podcast with Sheila. Hello.
1: What
0: is your favorite quote?
1: i work, work, and work harder. Great. That's
0: my own quote. It's nobody your own else. Book. Great, great. Work, work, and work harder. Great. Take us through your life as a child.
1: Great as well. Um, Unfortunately, I was born an awful long time ago and I was born with the bombs dropping around me um, and uh, I was a very frightened child with a big stutter, uh, very plain, very frightened all the time Um, and um, it it was uh, life just surviving really, we didn't have a lot of food or anything and it was just my mother and I and uh, we spent most of our time under the stairs. Um and um yes, it it was it was very tough in London uh during the war. So that was the start of my life. I think it toughened me up, although I perhaps didn't um know that at the time.
0: Great, great. Share with us your business journey. How did it all start? What were the challenges and what were your successes? Um
1: well, uh, the challenges were the fact that I I, I didn't I wasn't very bright. I didn't. Um, I didn't go to any. I went to really good schools. I went to lots of convents. I decided to become a nun at one point, and then decided that perhaps um, maybe I'd rather make money. So I then started to start little businesses at school by, uh, you know, selling um, uh, hair brushes and things like that for people to brush their hair. And I charged a penny for that, and I started to make money like that. And then I realised that I really loved business and when i left school my mother sent me to a polytechnic to learn about um uh, uh secretary, wanted me to be a secretary so that i would marry the boss that was the idea go, go to school learn shorthand typing marry the boss i was determined one not to marry two most certainly not the boss and i i learned a lot from that uh, Horrid place. Um, it, it was a pretty rough because I'd come from really rather delicate schools and this was a really rough, rough school. Uh, but I survived. Um, I got teased a lot because my manners were so good. But I learnt a huge amount. I learned about business. Great. And... Um, um, I, I, had, I had my first job, I, I got sacked within three days because it was all about telephones, plugging telephones in, and mm. I got in a muddle, and anyway, I got the sack, um, And as uh, but one of the people, one of the broadcasters, a very famous broadcaster in the BBC, um, saw pretension in me, he said, well, you really... Very pretty, and I'd never been called pretty before. Um, and uh, we think you should go to Lucy Clayton, and we'll pay for you. So all the team, all the crew from the BBC uh, paid for me to go to Lucy Clayton uh, to become a mannequin. I hadn't thought of that because, of course, I was terribly shy. So I wasn't my mother just laughed and said, "Don't be silly." Um, but I thought, "Oh, I maybe I maybe I can do that. I can do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can." Anyway, I became a very, very top well, internationally famous a mannequin traveled the world, um spent a lot of time with the Duke Duchess of Windsor when I worked in Paris, uh, worked with Dior and so forth um i was I was very um, very popular because um I blushed a lot and I giggled a lot and I generally either fell off the platform or I got everything wrong, but they instead of the snooty models that you know, had their noses in the air. <laughs> I was the one that always, always got it wrong. <laughs> I always get everything wrong, but I I keep working at it, and right. um, you know I reckon I reckon as I said earlier, just work and work harder. Anyway, uh, the day that I, I I was going to go to become a mannequin, they said no 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 you can't because you're too short, neck to waist. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it was important measurement that you know you, you weren't any good in the clothes if you weren't hadn't got that measurement. So I got chucked out before I even start there. And I went and sat on the bench in in a square in London and crying my heart out. I didn't want to go back to my mother and say I didn't even get that job because I thought by that time, having sat, got sat from the first job, I couldn't even become a mannequin. I was crying and I can remember it clearly. And somebody walked past and said, uh, wear high heels and keep your head up high. And I thought, what a funny man, I looked up and there was a man with a great big pimple, I remember, on his nose. And he said, why are you crying? And my mother had always said, don't talk to anybody, blah, 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 you know, the usual thing. And um, anyway, so I told him the story and he said, you're lucky, young lady, I'm just about to open um, a a model agency and uh, and you can be my very first model. And I was, and it was the most famous um, uh, model agency in the world. Uh, and I became his top model and I traveled all over the world. Um, I, I was incredibly shy, but um, somehow I was determined. I was determined that I was, you know, I would do it. And I did. Um, and at the age of 22, I'd done all that I wanted to do. I'd would I'd, I'd, been in every big show that there was. I was the Winderling girl, which meant I worked for a lot of Pinewood studios and I worked with all the uh, stars there. Um, and um, I did the, all the adverts for and wow. People used to see me in the street, go, wipe it on, wipe it off. Said, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, did all of that. And, um, and at the age of 22, I hung my eyelashes up and said, no, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and at that time, I'd been making my own clothes because I never had enough money, really, making my own clothes. And I thought, well, when I was in Paris, there was Dior Boutique. Uh wasn't a shop, it was a boutique boutique um yes, boutique, and I thought I'll open a boutique in London, and so I did. It was a little attic in in Kensington um and um helped by a lovely friend of mine dennis norden uh and he helped me build it up and um well, we had a broomstick with about six dresses on it, and thank God it was the it was the time of the sack dress, so I didn't have to have a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, experience. And um, we put an advert in the local paper, and all I had an um, answer from the nuns in the local uh, convent, uh, saying they, you know, in between prayers, could they work for me? Oh. And so I had all the nuns sitting there uh, nice. working for me. Um, we made dresses for everybody. I mean, every every star that came along. All the famous I could name you haven't got time to hear them all, but um sandy Shaw uh, who when she won the Eurovision Song Contest War, won my clothes Julie christie for Dr. Zhivago. um anyway, they all came to me, and it was a wonderful story uh um, and I decided that everything was going so well that I would actually um go up west, which was like in a big time. Uh, and I've got all wonderful stories of my time in America. Um, when I was selling to Bloomingdale's, they came into the showroom and they said, "You don't sell to Alexander's, do you, in New York?" And I said, "I thought something wrong. Something there funny." I went, "No," having known that yesterday we had sold them. And um, they said, "Oh, um, oh, well, that's good that because that now we can we can buy clothes from you." Um, Anyway, they did, placed a lovely big order, and we realised that what we shouldn't have done is to sell to Alexander. So we got on a plane, my boyfriend and I, and we went to Alexander's, and I had a pair of scissors, and I actually cut all the labels, Harriet labels, out of the clothes, so that Bloomingdale's wouldn't know that we'd done it. It was sort of like a crazy time. You know, it was, it was the craziest, it was, sixties were wonderful. We we danced all night, we worked all day hard, we worked our guts out it we had so much fun we it was the most wonderful things ever happened to me and i feel sorry for anyone that didn't live through the 60s (laughs) you know i wouldn't want you to be as old as me but (laughs) but my goodness you missed a wonderful time the spirit was so great and um there we are there we are so that's the rag trade part um but i got i got um I wasn't very intelligent, I just had to keep working. I don't know what it was, but I had to challenge myself. That was the main thing, is that I had a pushing mother and I decided, you know, that um, she, she wanted one thing for me and I was determined to do something else. And so, bit by bit, I achieved everything I wanted to achieve. Including now having finally written my book with real words in it, because all my books before were sketchbooks. Okay. With no words in them.
0: <laughs> okay. Now now here. let's let's hold on to it first. I, I I have seen a pattern in your story. Um that caught my eye, as in um, your determination and your passion and not giving up. It's like it's a consistency I see as you told your story. So mm-hmm is one thing that i have i have noticed because you've come from a background that you actually did not study fashion and Definitely. you just found yourself doing it and you did it to the point that you were able to design for celebrities let me ask you how did you how did you get in contact with your first celebrity the first person you designed for how did you get in contact with them
1: um there was a write up in one of the papers um because uh in back in those days it was very um Uh, you couldn't have a a wedding uh, and wear trousers a trouser suit but I designed for this celebrity uh, she wasn't she was a model girl and I designed um, um, a dress for her which opened up into trousers so as she walked down the aisle but the vicar was really cross so it it actually got a lot of publicity saying you can't have trousers in a church Uh, But Harriet says you can. Harriet was my name at the time. Harriet says you can. And so it started from there. And what happened was that I had all the debutantes coming to me and the the, the mothers brought the daughters in and said, well, we'll have afternoon dresses evening dresses, cocktail dresses, and I was going, yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, quite frankly, but I was, really, oh, wow, I was making so much money and we made it up as we went along. And that's what I've, I've had to do because I don't have um, anything I do. It's literally by just going, well, I suppose, I suppose you do it this way. And then if you try hard enough, you can do it. I mean, I've never been trained for anything. I mean, you know, that that's it. But But you can sort it out i mean you know i've never i now have a a publishing house i've no idea it's the biggest stupid business in the world publishing but um, i'm trying to sort my way through it so literally i think you just say i'd like to be a and then if you really want to do it hard enough you can do it you don't have to be trained i mean yes if you want to be a scientist you do but you know i just do silly things like designing
0: wow so um I know of Harrods and I've heard of Saks. How did you get your products into into these shops? Well, you you had something
1: in uh, in, uh, London, because London was the center in the 60s and early 70s, London was the center. Paris Paris was very, very chic and you know, you always Paris, but basically London was very, very trendy, and all of a sudden the Parisians and the Americans, everyone decided, oh, London is the place. So they had something called a, a buying agent. Uh, actually, the main one was AMC. I don't know what it stood for, um, and they would send people over from uh, from all these, you know, Neiman Marcus and so forth, uh, uh, people to see the collections, and then they'd buy for them, and then they'd get shipped over to America. So we didn't do anything about it just because it went into Women's Wear Daily, which is a trade trade magazine. Um, Once uh, uh, once pictures came out about my style and that that sort of thing, Uh, because I did very feminine um, clothes and and the photographers uh, loved me because they were sexy. I did quite a lot of sexy clothes. And so the famous photographers like Helmut Newton and Cecil Beaton and so forth, wanted always to do, you know, to photograph my clothes. So bit by bit, um, of course, I became well known like that. So it became the fact that America wanted the clothes, Australia wanted them, Hong Kong wanted them, everybody wanted my clothes, you know. Um, And um, I had no idea what I was doing most of the time,
0: but anyway, it worked. (laughs) Wow. This story is very, very, very impressive because you had just come from a background with no no tutoring or no knowledge of tailoring or no. fashion. No. And then straight away, you just rise up to the peaks where everybody is desiring for your designs and it's gone, it hits the, the high peaks and everyone wants it. This is very interesting. So what was life as a fashion designer like uh, for you in the fifties and in the seventies? Uh,
1: well, the fifties, I wasn't in the right trade. I, you know, I was still a model girl uh, in the fifties. So it was, I started Harriet First, Harriet, in the early sixties, um, it was very exciting because uh, it, it was new ground, and because we were all aware that Paris was important, um, and and we we didn't think we were up to much, but uh, we sort of had to go. There was the start of um, of uh, flower power and so forth. Um, I had flowers always on my face. I always had flowers, uh, um, you know, drawn, drawn on my face. Yeah, and I had um, frizzy hair, (laughs) a bit uh, like it is a mess. Um, And uh, uh, we just, as I said earlier, we just made it up as we went along. Very few of us were trained. Um, There was a most wonderful designer, one of my favourite designers, uh, Ozzy Clark, um, and uh, he was the most brilliant uh, designer. But basically most, most of us made it up as we went along. Along. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, uh, Mary Quant I I did a lot of work what really upset me about Mary Quant if she's the main person in in uh, in England if you say 60s they say oh Mary Quant okay. well um Mary Quant used to buy her clothes from Harriet <laughs> and she would just take my labels out so whereas I was taking the labels out in Alexander's, Mary would take my labels out <laughs> there so I can only say yes I worked with Mary Quant but <laughs> No, she never, she never admitted that she did, but I used to make her clothes
0: for her. Oh. You know,
1: yeah. okay. Great. Same with Bieber, the Bieber, I don't know again if Bieber.
0: you know.
1: My little showroom was on top of Bieber. Bieber okay. was below me. Okay. Uh, but I was there first and then all of a sudden it said someone's moving in below and that was Bieber. Okay. Um, and, um, I got so much shoplifting i had to move because people used to go in the front of bieber go out of the back up to me pinch my clothes and go away and in the end i thought no i'm going to go into margaret street uh, which is a, sort of you know the rag trade area like which is in new york which is 42nd street no it's not 42nd. whatever it is in new york um and um yeah so that's how i went into the the big time um, oh, really? Yeah, that's how it started, it It was great, it was great, we worked so hard, I can't, we really worked so, so hard, and there were lovely stories about um, if you had too much stock in those days, you could do for 200 pounds, you could do a burn up, which meant that you could could phone up someone and you say, okay, uh, Margaret Street and Great Portland Street, um, I'm going on holiday on Friday, and we'd go to Ibiza. I I didn't do it, but there were people. You'd go to a Ibiza for twenty nine pounds, and be away. And when you came back, oh, your stockroom had burnt down. All that stock had gone. It only cost two hundred quid. What? <laughs> like that? It was a bit shady. It was a few little gangsters around, you know.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that, but I just do it. <laughs> okay so what can you say about the fashion trends of today in comparison to that of your poem
1: well I, I can't I can't discuss it because I think I think it's um it's so different now it really really isn't it, it isn't the same it, it's it's as I said earlier it's just trends it, you know today it's um, you know great big handbags for 600 pounds and torn jeans and you know and and six t-shirts and your, your brass straps showing and you know <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. could you call it fashion no, you can call it trend. You can't call it fashion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I mean, no. It's not, it's not just in America. It's bloody well all over the world. It's, it's just a mishmash. It will come back again, but uh, at the moment, it's fashion that's old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned to be fashionable. You have to have a trendy thing, and, and you know, And I think that's well, sad for people like me who are designers. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I've had the best of it. I've had the best time, really. I, I wish it was going on, and I, I, I'm absolutely thrilled that I lived through the times that I did. Um, very important that I did, and I uh, wouldn't have missed
0: it for the world. Wouldn't have missed it for the world. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> what were the other businesses you had, apart from your oh, fashion yeah. business? Dear, yeah, when I... um
1: when the, the Chinese started to come in and, and take the world all went, fashion world went completely wrong. Um, I'd made a lot of money by that time and I'd bought a, uh, I had a lovely daughter in between all I had a beautiful daughter who's a very famous photographer now. Um, and I um, I decided I was going to not retire. I was just going to give myself a week off. <laughs> okay. uh, I did, I spent a whole week. I did ironing. I did. Um, I went shopping. I'd, I was bored to tears. I couldn't. I finished everything by nine o'clock in the morning. I didn't know what housewives did, so I thought I can't do this anymore. And so my girlfriend phoned me up one day and said, well, would you back me in a in a beauty salon?" And I said, "Oh, I don't know anything about it." Anyway, I'm a businesswoman, and so I I found the premises, and we opened an amazing salon in in Barnes, which is a rather posh part of London. And everybody, including Vera Lynn and all again, um, uh, Joan Collins, everybody came to the salon, and you couldn't get an appointment ever. Uh, It was really, really popular. But I hated the business. You know, people the, the customers used to come up to me and say, "What about this fat?" And I get. Oh God! And how about these blackheads? And I go, oh, don't I can't. No, sorry, I couldn't deal with it. No, I'm sorry. Um, And so I I sold my shares to my girlfriend, and actually we we fell out with each other, which is sad because we've been friends for so long. But anyway, it didn't work. Um, And uh, and that's when I decided that I would be an interior designer. I didn't know anything about it. Um, And and I took a short course of how to measure windows. And uh what colours to put with what colours. And I think it was a two-day course. And um uh then I really I really had a lot of luck. Uh I met I, I got in with a group of people because interior designing is word of mouth, really. You yeah. know, it's it's it, it, you know it's, you can't be taught it if you if you can do it, you can do it, but then you can you can be the best designer in the world. But if nobody wants you, um you don't get any work. But I happened to meet someone who said, oh, I think you're amazing. You must be my girlfriend's. And th- then they said, oh, well, could you? And all of a sudden I was so busy. Wow. Um, and yeah, and I, I did, I, I did at the start, well, it got so complicated. I did a couple of, sh- of, um, of Arab, uh, Arab palaces, mm. um, amazing, amazing. I did Tom Cruise's penthouse for him. Um uh I I you know I I did all the Merck family, I don't you know Merck pharmaceuticals, I I did their houses for them. Oh, uh, the yeah. stories that go with them. I always say that and I sat on the on on the bed with Tom Cruise, not oh, in bed. I get
0: it. <laughs> <On the bed>. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs>
1: Uh, so, I, I've had that was just amazing. Uh, and the problem with interior designing is because if you get, if you're an emotional person like I am, I would begin to believe that house was mine, you know, because my heart would go, it shouldn't matter me saying wall and some cushions and I, I'd pull down houses and put them up again and I'd re- restore barns and turn them into swimming pool areas and so on. I, dug, I did one for um, a big uh, very important uh, shake in, uh, in, um, um, last uh, year mm-hmm. and I dug down three three uh, floors below the, the pavement and, and had a different had a swimming pool on one lot and I began to think it was my place and then I had to hand back the keys at the end and I always ended up by oh. crying because they said oh, can we have the keys back and I go Oh yes, I had to walk <laughs> away. I go to my my boring old place, leaving this amazing but anyway, so um, yes, I'm too emotional for these things really but so now yeah. so now um, uh, now I'm uh, I'm older and I've started something. I've started a new campaign which is very important to me, which I'm calling uh, old Lives Matter, okay. you know because we've got Black Lives Matter. You're not allowed to say black, not allowed to say fat, you're not allowed to say, but you're allowed to say old. I'm fed up with people say, oh, that old woman, you know, oh Wendy, oh, she's old. Oh, that old. No, I, I am, I am old. I can't help that. But <laughs> but it's important to me, um, you know, that I'm also a person. So I'm I'm pushing that at the moment. <laughs> That's my latest scheme, anyway.
0: That's a beautiful campaign, really. I think it's a beautiful one.
1: I got it in my window. It says, "It, it says old oh, oh, lives matter.' You know, which they do. You'd be surprised how badly people are, are are being treated here. You know, among them in a in a care home. Oh, don't want to. Whereas in the past, you know, an older person was revered, and they'd be, you know, and they'd be moved into the other room, and they they help with the children. Now, no, no, no. Oh,
0: well, I'll put her in an old people's home. Old people Yeah, so
1: that's what my campaign
0: is what I'm doing now. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Let me just ask you, um, in the past, how would you how much would you sell? What okay, how much would you sell your most expensive garment? I think um it was most probably Julie Christie's gold lame dress
1: that she won at Osco in. Uh and I think in those days it was something like £120, but it was like a huge amount of money in those nah. days. You know wow. now. Yeah. Uh, but, wow. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of money because usually my dresses, which would be silk or whatever, uh, would be something like fifteen pounds. I, I don't know what that is. Maybe even if you called it fifteen dollars. Then, when I look at the prices now, I think, my goodness, how
0: how could things have been so cheap? But cheap. of course. Yeah.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Credy, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. how many books have you put together so far? Nine,
1: a nine. I've got nine. a nine Yes. Wow. Yes. I've done, a, I've done a recipe book, which I've done like oh. recipe cards that you could, you know, how to make curtains. And then and I've done a, a sketchbook of blinds and then I've done one of accessories. I, my most famous ones are the curtain sketchbooks. And that's, as I say, they teach all the students, you, you, the, all the colleges buy them. So that, um, yeah, they're, they're just, in fact, I just have to say my name Wendy Baker when I'm any any sort of way where they're talking about decor, and they go, not Wendy Baker, the sketchbooks. And I go, Yes. And they go, so lovely to meet you. And I go, Oh, really? (laughs) I don't think of it like that. But um, yeah. But um, um, yeah, I think I think it was a lucky stroke. I had a most wonderful um person called Christine Carrieri. She did all my sketching for me. I used to do awful. Awful shapes and flat things, and I'd say it like yeah. this. And then she'd go, Bloody hell, I can't do that. And then she'd go, <laughs> Few swear words, few words, and she'd go, Oh, ridiculous, bang the phone down. Like, Oh, now what? And then two days later, it comes through the most wonderful sketches. Oh, wow. The sketches, such a great sense of humor. Unfortunately, she died a couple of years ago, and um, I think she just fell off her perch one day. She took a glass of wine and was yeah. sitting there, had a heart attack, and that was oh. it. We had a great love love relationship, I I loved it a bit, we argued a huge amount, but um, in the end we were doing the books, I was living in France and she was living in Spain, so we were shouting down the phone to each other, <laughs> no not that way, no, don't be stupid! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so in the books mean something to me because i can remember the hell i
0: went through to get her to do it how i wanted it wow so no darling is your new book is it no darling it's called bad organization
1: let, let, let me tell you it's very important that the title because i have a, a girlfriend um who gets on my nerves but i love her dearly and um she called me up one day and she said um, she talks like this darling uh, would you like to go to lunch with me at the Ivy today? And I said, because I talk the same when I'm speaking to her, no, darling, I, I can't. She said, why not? And I said, it's called working for a living. And she said, no, darling, it's called bad organization. I put the phone down. That's why the book is called, called, called
0: bad.
1: Bad. Great. bad organization. And Great. I am badly organized, Uh-oh. I think. I mean, I am not, but I am, I, I get everything a bit wrong. You know i think i'm dyslexic or something i don't know but um i try hard and i'm i'm succeeding and i you are you know i'm hoping to live to about 120 so I, i'll great. i'll be all right in the end great
0: great <laughs> yeah. you look really strong and beautiful at your age really And mean it, <laughs> it looks like everything you've tried your hands on you. sure everything you've tried your hands on has been so successful from your story from the fashion your the time you were doing the fashion to the time you did your interior design and now with your books Every time is you have been scaling up, scaling up, scaling up with whatever you do. And that is really Im- impressive. Well, you can do everything.
1: If you set your heart to it, you can do it. You can do
0: it. If you've That's got the true. will. I mean, some people
1: can't, you know. But you know, so some people are saying now, oh, the pandemic, what am I going to do all day? And I go, for goodness sake, there's so much to do. I've learned to do candle making. Wow. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, yeah. You know, I'm learning Italian at the moment. I'm working my guts out promoting yeah. the book. But why are people just sitting saying, oh, I'm depressed? I don't understand. But Yeah,
0: different. exactly. Everyone's, Everyone's True, different. true, true. You have to set your heart to it, really. You have to, and then you'll yes, be able to yes. do this. That's so yes. true. I'd love to hear your story. We don't have time now, but I'd love to hear your story. I have beautiful stories. I've, we know oh. we are, Yeah, we actually started podcast um, in the first lockdown. Yes. I, I, I thought that, this is a time that people would like to hear words of encouragement and words of inspiration yeah. like yours yeah. so that yeah. they would know that they can't just let everything down things are no, changing no. change with it you get it and all of that I, get, I
1: don't understand how people just they just sit there just sitting there watching television and, uh-huh. and just, i don't
0: know yeah anyway well <laughs> i'm with you wendy i'm with you yes yeah. can, can <laughs> you give us a synopsis of your book
1: uh, yeah well it's my life story uh starts off with a with a scared little girl with a stutter no with no friends because nobody wants a, a a school friend with a stutter and I found out if I was really naughty I made friends so I became a naughty girl and was always in trouble and um that's it really I went to college and learned how to uh, shorthand type which I never use um uh, but I learned how to do business and I I also ended up by uh uh, working with um our knots, which is a big merchant bank. I mean I couldn't even add up one and one. I made five. If i made, I couldn't add up even, but our knots phoned me up one day and said, we don't understand the rag trade. Can you help us out? And so I used to sit at the board of, at, the, at the table of, in, in board meetings telling what? all these bankers what to do. do I mean really, yes, I So uh, yes, I um um it's been a hard uphill struggle, but um um I can't remember what the question was now sorry about
0: your book your synopsis
1: of synopsis oh, my God. Of... Yeah. well it's the story of yeah. i've been telling you it's through everything from the rag trade through to secrets which was the name of the the, the salon um okay. a bit about my love life i i not a lot um i have a big regret of my lovely italian that i didn't marry um i have a wonderful daughter um, but I actually, I, I never married. I didn't find the right, a right person. If I hadn't married my Italian, I waited. And I've still got the back gate open. I'm still waiting for Prince Charming to come. I think he, he might come, but he will. he's got to take me as I am now.
0: <laughs> Do you think it's because you got busy with business? That was why you didn't get married? Or yeah.
1: Yes, it, it's all I had, really, because from being a stuttery uh, child, I was, adop- I was a, adopted by a stepfather. I felt as if I'd been given away, and I felt oh. always if I had to prove that You're I so was true. somebody. So yeah. I spent my entire life trying to make my mother happy to have me, and and it seems silly now, and it sounds silly, I suppose, um, but that's how I, I felt. I was always trying to prove myself, um, and I never thought that a piece of paper would buy me. I, I didn't I didn't I'd love to have had a white wedding. I'd rather have the wedding. I don't get married, but I perhaps I'll have a wedding with without <laughs> so <I'm> getting married. <laughs> oh, that's not possible, is it? <laughs> a virtual wedding. I a <laughs> no, 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 maybe one somebody will come, but I think it's too late now. I've enjoyed um um I've been I was living with my partner for 50 years and he died uh, last year. Um, um and um I feel very relieved because he had Alzheimer's and uh, life was horrendous yeah. um and I wanted to kill myself I didn't I didn't it was awful awful uh, and, and now he's not around I I miss him and I sleep on the right hand side of the bed I never sleep on his side
0: yeah <laughs>
1: silly' you know and and um uh yes life's not same, he was a very, very good-looking guy, and we had great adventures together. But our, this awful disease took him, and you know, I try not to remember that part. Yeah. Of
0: what was your experience like partying with uh, Princess Margaret? Oh, that was always difficult because she was very spoiled. She always,
1: um, she always liked to be. She was was late for everything, so we. She, you know, we'd be told from the palace, oh, you know, be at the club, generally the four hundred club, be there at um, you know eight o'clock or something. So we'd all get there, and about half past nine she'd arrive, and we couldn't sit down to eat till she came. Then she wouldn't sit down; she'd stand, she'd always have a long, her long cigarette um, thing uh, holder and somebody would light a cigarette and she'd stand there. Meanwhile, we're still standing and then somebody wow. would push a chair under her legs so we'd make her sit down and then we could all sit down. Sit down. Um, and I remember she had a boyfriend called uh, Billy Wallace. It was a bit of a chimneys wonder, we used to call him. Mm. But uh, he, I think he quite fancied me and he kept coming and chatting to me and I could see her, but virtually feel her, her eyes in my in the, my. Sort of going, leave him alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't think she liked him very much. Well, you know, we didn't have a lot in common. But uh, you, were you um, in her circle of friends? She's she, you no, know, she had a sort of way with her. I think the sad thing is that you know she was the second born. She she you know, she should have married Townsend, um but she didn't, and she chose the title and everything and. She didn't find happiness. She found yeah. quite a lot on Mustique. I think um, she had a good life there, but but she was very hung up about sex. Her sex life was very mixed up and you know, so yeah, I, I think yeah. she was an unhappy woman. Last time I saw her was actually at Chelsea Harbor, um, where she'd had a big she burned her legs, um, and, and she was in a wheelchair. And that was the last time she died fairly shortly after that. And she just said hi to me, and I don't think she really remembered who I was, really. But yeah, um, yes. Um, but I think I think the, the nicest royal people that I've met was the Duke and Duchess of uh, of Windsor, who obviously would have been King of England, and he gave it all up for Wallace Simpson, and she was horrible. So it was horrible to everybody. But he was so sweet. All he cared about was gardening. You know, you see, you yeah. know, King of England could have been. All he kept on talking about was whether he should put his bulbs in or whether he should. Put...
0: <laughs> uh, so he was lovely talking to him. But um, yeah. So how and, how is the link with you and the royal family? Are you uh, are you just a friend, or are you are you a long distance relative to them? No, all? no,
1: no, 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 no. I'm uh, I'm I'm nothing like that. I'm just I'm just. Wendy, I'm just Wendy. I'm I'm nobody. I just um, because I made the clothes for so many important people, uh and because of the my because that there was something we had in England, we don't have in America, called debutantes, that all the debutantes uh had connections to the royal family and when they had the coming out ball they always had a coming out ball and the um so they'd say at the Grosvenor house oh uh, the lady so and so and so and so is having a coming out ball oh Harriet, you will be there won't you you will come okay. and so i used to go to all these amazing balls, balls and dance away and everything but no no i i was absolutely nobody i you know i don't have any royal links most certainly not um, I think my well, the nearest is that my my grandmother was um, a court dressmaker. That's about oh. as near as it as it oh. got. Which is why I most probably ended up in the rag trade. I don't know, but uh, ruff, yes, ruff. no, no. Um, but it was uh, my connections. And I know I'm good at connections. I I can remember there was somebody very very rich. Well, in Rome, when I when I when I was working in Rome, um, they were making a film which now has been remade, but it was called Ben-Hur. And it was the original Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston, Harry Berrifonte, all those people. And I parted with them and made so many connections with that. And Stephen Ward, uh, Stephen, not, that's another Profumo case, which you don't know about Profumo case, do you? No. Oh, it was a big scandal, but I was involved in that, thank God. My mother told me to come home and I didn't stay the night, otherwise I would have, might be in jail to this day. But uh, oh. it's an awful lot in my book. So it's it's a lot of, a lot of stories, uh, three three mafia murders, as I say, um, uh, uh, which are very interesting and they've not been solved. Uh, I sort of have an idea why they why they happened, but... The mafia were very in the 60s. There was a lot of it around the Italian restaurants. The Italian restaurants in uh, in London were um, all owned by mafia generally, <laughs> and um, yeah, and and there's a lot of nasty things going on. Um, we had we had two um, two bodies put into the flyover in Chiswick. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's um they had great big um, uh, steel girders with concrete and everything, and then we'd say, oh, two are you know, got two bodies in that one and one in that one. And oh, I don't know whether it was true, but you know, that's how the 60s was. It was a,
0: a bit grim, <laughs> but, uh, you know. Yeah. How did you end up with John Lennon's uh, glasses? Well, that was silly, but we um,
1: went to the very, very famous club. The most famous club in in London during that time was called the AdLib. And you had to be someone special. To be able to even be to go there, okay. and luckily I was special, I suppose at the time, yeah. and um, I had a boyfriend who was also special, and he was um, friends of uh, uh, someone called Vidal Sassoon, which you might know, the hairdresser. Yeah. Yes, and there were three three boys from the East End: Eddie, Vidal, and Gerald. And they mm-hmm. came, they came, and they became the Z thing. The new place to have your hair done was there, and I was going out with Vidal and and Eddie. Um, sure. Um, and um, we are dancing one night, uh, and I was sitting beside um, Ringo at the time, and he was going out with someone called Maureen, I think. I think he married Maureen, I can't remember. Um, anyway, all of a sudden, someone said, let's do the conga. Not the sort of thing we would normally do at the Adlib, but we all jumped up and we all we all had too much to drink. And so we all hung on to each other. And someone said from behind, they said to me, pinch my bottom. And they said, pass it on. So I did pass it on, and John, and it was John Lennon's bottom. I turned around. And he said, "More, more, more." So I went round the club, pinching John Lennon's bottom until we got back to where we were all sitting, and we collapsed in hysterical laughter. And then, uh, and, and John said, "Are you hungry?" And I said, oh, "I'm starving." Then he said, "Grab the menu," and I knew what it was. It was only hamburgers that they sold it. but I couldn't read the small print. So he said, "Oh, have my glasses," and, because it was a very dark club, because people like um, Judy Garland were there, and they—that's why it was such a dark club. Because so that you, nobody wants to... Yeah, you it. don't see anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I couldn't see it. anyway. So he lent me glasses, and then he disappears. And I said to Ringo, um, "Oh, can you give these to um, to John?" He said, "Oh, he's gone now. He's got lots of pairs. Don't hang on to them." Oh. So I, I hung on to them. They've been in my knicker drawer now, or well, they were in my knicker drawer for 30 years. Wow. I just knew they were there, and I don't know why I kept them there. I just knew they were John's, and it meant a lot to me, the, the life that I was having at the time. And uh, then about 18 months ago, I thought, this is silly, and someone approached me and said, have you got all the membership things for the Adlib and the menus and... And and I said, Well, I've obviously got John's glasses and I've mm-hmm. got everybody's um, uh, signatures and so forth. And I said, But I don't want to really lose them. Anyway, they said, Well, they said at the time 20,000. And then finally, I think I got 10 or 12,000. Mm.
0: Wow, well, wow. Well, um,
1: yeah, but there's, there's a big story around that, which is too long to tell you. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So um but I was sad. I'm sad. I, I still look in my knicker drawer and go, oh, there's a gap there.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but you know, really, I don't know why I was holding on to
0: them. But there Great. we go. Yeah. So your book is up for sale, is it? uh the book, book, is, book is up for sale. Is is it oh, on yeah. Amazon? It's on
1: oh. it's on Amazon and there's an e book as well. Um and but but the trouble is that I finished it when uh, uh the days that we went into lockdown in lockdown. England Oh. I finished the book and all the book, you know, the distributors that sell the books are all closed. And, yeah. and the only place you can buy it is from me. So you have to buy it from me, um, which is uh, from www.shoestringbooks.co.uk and you get a signed copy Great. or you can buy it from Amazon. And I've also signed a lot for Amazon. So you can buy it from Amazon signed copy um,
0: and you can buy the ebook from Amazon. What will be your final words of advice to our listeners? Your final, final word of advice to our listeners?
1: Well, I think you've got to follow your heart. Uh, when you fall in love, bloody well, marry him. Why didn't I do that? <laughs> um, and and just get on with your life. Stop, stop moaning about everything all the time. Just, you know, just say, I want to do that. I can do that and do it. And if you can't do it, it's not the end of the world, you know. It's just people push themselves so much. I mean, everybody's going to end up... One of the things I said in my podcast is my um, um, blog is you know, it's all very well seeing people bent over saying they're old. But it's all these young people with their bloody earphones. All they do is keep looking at their phones all the time. You know, I, I don't understand how they don't communicate anymore. You know, somebody yeah. keeps pinging keep me or pinging me or whatever it is. doing you know i don't want that i want someone to call and say hi wendy how are you doing you lonely yeah. are you you know but no i get are you all right i'm sorry you know well, if you can't be bothered to phone me don't bother i get very rude <laughs> yeah. don't bother, don't bother. <laughs> i get it i don't i don't conform very easily
0: <laughs> yeah I get it. It's
1: lovely to meet you. I sort of haven't
0: met you, but it's lovely to talk to you. It's beautiful having you on podcast with Sheila. And I think your story today is so impressive. If for nothing at all, the one thing I got out of your story is you have worked your way through it. And in all of it, you have aimed at being successful. And that was exactly what you got in the end and Uh i think that is a beautiful message you're going to leave out there with our listeners and it was great having you on podcast with sheila really listening in this is season two episode seven of our podcast series where we've been bringing your way seasoned guests with inspiring life stories to share with us do not miss out on all these lovely experiences subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released we have a video presentation of this show on our youtube channel if you would like to see us in pictures just search for Podcast with Sheila and you would find us. On this note, we would like to say a massive thank you to all our listeners from the 18 countries around the world. This show continues to grow stronger and stronger because of your support. Podcast with Sheila is aired on eight listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocketcast, Radio Public, and YouTube. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this episode if you were inspired by it. Until we meet again in a fortnight, have a brilliant week.